let's talk about digital identity, the podcast connecting identity and business. I am your host, Oscar Santolaya. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Let's Talk About Digital Identity for this new year, 2022. And we have a very special guest who has been in a very short clips in an episode we had in October, we released in October, a very special episode, a storytelling episode called How OpenID Connect Took Over the World. And today's guest was there. We're talking about a super special guest called Nat Sakimura, one of the creators of OpenID Connect uh, Standard. Nat Sakimura is a well-known identity and privacy standardization architect and the representative partner of Nat Consulting. Besides being an author and editor of such widely standards such as the OpenID Connect, FAPI, JWT, about Pixie, among others, he helps communities to organize themselves to realize the ideas around identity and privacy. As the chairman of the board of the OpenID Foundation, he streamlined the process, bolstered the IPR management, and greatly expanded the breadth of the foundation, spanning over 10 working groups whose members include large internet services, mobile operators, financial institutions, governments, etc. He has been serving in various committees in the Japanese government, including study group on the platform services of the Ministry of Internal Affairs and Communications and study group on the competition in digital market of the Fair Trade Commission of Japan. Hello, Nat. Hi, Oscar. Thanks for inviting. Welcome. It's a great pleasure talking with you, Nat. And well, Happy New Year. And let's talk about digital identity. <laughs> Likewise. Yeah. Fantastic. And I think we know a lot of your involvement. Of course, you are leading one of the most important standardization organizations in the digital space. We'd like to hear a bit about yourself, something personal, of course, how life led you to this world of digital identity. Okay, so you wanted to know how was my journey to the world mm -hmm. of identity? Yes. Yeah, the three reasons, they all converged to identity. Mm -hmm. In the middle of 1990s, I was working on VPN as an alternative way to secure communications than having dedicated list line. And at the time, we were using dedicated list line in the financial institutions. And that actually amounts to the identifications and the authentication of the machines and the people, as well as integrity protection and encryption of the communication channel. So there you have identity. Then also, the second reason was that I found in a hard way that their access to our personal data is not granted. My daughter had a failed surgery. She was three years old then. And for reoperation, I need to access the medical record quickly, mm -hmm. but I was not granted. So it was not useful for us. That was a surprise for me. We didn't have the right nor technology in place to access our own data in a meaningful time frame. Mm -hmm. So I started on the combination of the identity and privacy then. The third one was the research commissioned by the Japanese Postal Agency. It's been subsequently uh, privatized, but it was still a government agency at the time, on the future of males. And as part of the research, I got acquainted with uh, Dramon Reed, who dragged me into the standardization part of the identity arena. All of this combined paved the way for me to get into the digital identity standardization world. Mm, I see. It's very interesting. You, you mentioned these three points. One, very technical, solving the security problems of that, those times, the VPNs in the 1990s. Then you, you needed to access 
personal data of your daughter, right? And even though I'm sure it was stored somewhere, but you were not able to access in a timely manner, as you said. So, right. Yeah. yeah and then I think the opportunity came, as you mentioned, in the Japanese Poltan Agency. So to work, start working on the standards. So, well, and super, super interesting. And we have talked uh, recently, and you said you wanted to talk about FAPI, one of the, um, yeah, one of the main well, children of the OpenID Foundation. Uh, we have interviewed also Don Thibault a bit more than one year ago. He little bit talked about that standard. I have been uh, very enthusiastic about talking that standard. And I'm sure you have much more to tell us. But please tell us what is the what was the beginning of that? So what were the challenges that uh, you working on OpenID Foundation found led uh, that led to the yeah to start working on the creation of FAPI? Yeah, so right after we have finished OpenID Connect in 2014, I think I have started working on FAPI, preparing preparation for FAPI on 2015. You know, all of OpenID Connect are designed to scale from the point of view of security. If you use only the very basic, you can achieve entry-level security quite simply. Since you're not using options, it was not that hard to achieve interoperability. However, when you wanted to achieve more security, you had many options to choose from. And the different combinations not only led to different security properties, but also a lack of interoperability. We needed to bolt the options down so that we have non-security properties as well as interoperability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. I think interoperability is a word that always comes to any any standard because there are so many different, uh, yeah, so many possibilities can be done, and and so many different uh, needs in different, yeah, different industry, different different places in the world. Yeah, FAPI is financial grade API, so that's the rank correct. And I understand also that from the beginning it has been, as the name said, for financial transactions. Please tell us a bit what is FAPI in. in yeah, in practice. Yeah, the FAPI is a general purpose security profile of OAuth and OpenID Connect to protect APIs. It started off from financial use case from which the letter F comes from, but later it was made clear that it is general purpose. So we changed mm-hmm. the name from financial mm-hmm. API to financial grade API. Mm-hmm. It can be used by, for example, healthcare, transportation, and name any. So there are two notable characteristics of FAPI. Number one is that all the communication is integrity protected so that it's tampa evident. All messages are authenticated. And second characteristics is that no bearer token is used. Okay. Yeah, so that even if the token was stolen, it cannot be used. You know, the bearer token is like metro ticket or something like that. So if you drop it, and if somebody picks it up, it can be used. Mm-hmm, exactly. Right? And instead, in case of FAPI, we decided to use something called sender constraint tokens. Sender constraint token is much like international airline ticket, I mean, the boarding pass. Mm-hmm. So when you use it, it's got your name and you need to show your passport, for example, or travel card so that the person at the entrance can match that you are the rightful user of that boarding pass. So that's the center constraint token. And in FAPI, 
we have stopped using Bera token completely and went mm -hmm. all the way to the center constraint tokens. So another way to look at it is that it fulfills four authentication properties. In, in many cases, when we talk about these things, we kind of focus on the user authentication, but there are many other kinds of authentication, which is really important. The number one is strong server authentication. Number two, strong client authentication. Number three, strong message authentication. And this combined with strong user authentication, you'll have a pretty complete security picture. So that's the security part. And also we wanted to address the interoperability. So to improve our interoperability, we also needed to provide a testing framework. That's now provided by the OpenID Foundation as FAPI certification. There are now over 150 implementations that are certified and number is increasing quite rapidly now. And there is some sort of a self-certification, correct? Yes, it's a self-certification. So the test suite, suite is also available as open source. So you can, for example, use it for the continuous development. Some banks are actually using it like that. But when you are done with the development and you have passed all the tests, you can submit the result to OpenID Foundation, and then it will be published from the OpenID Foundation site. And, you know, they can be checked by your peers as well, so that, you know, you have a conformant implementation. Excellent. Yeah, one thing I was not aware, now that yeah, I said just before asking you, is FAPI's financial grade API. And when I read and when I heard from the for the first time that uh, that term, to me, it sounded like yeah, it's financial, but now you clarified right, that Initially, it was financial API, but then now it's financial grade. So as secure as the financial transaction, I guess that's the idea, right? So now it's more general purpose in a very secure profile from OpenID Connect and O2. So that's that's interesting. The yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so I think it was by 2017 or 18, we had a request from both healthcare sector as well as mm -hmm. the international travel sector in you know, airlines that they wanted to use it mm -hmm. but their request was to change the name because right. you know, having label as financial mm. you know it's going to be a hurdle for them to actually make industry-wide adoption of it so you know we kind of searched for the name by then the acronym FAPI was quite popular mm. So we didn't want to change the acronym and we wanted to generalize F part and we couldn't come up with anything better than financial grade. Mm -hmm. yeah. But the intent is that it is for any industry and it's secure. That's what we wanted to communicate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that clarification. It's, I think it's very important also for the ones who are not so familiar with, with the term yet. So yeah, excellent. And also the, the fact you, you mentioned in the description that in, in FAPI as a profile of uh, OpenID Connect, you don't you get rid of the bearer token. So that already tells a lot about how much security it is per se. The bearer token is just, it's not a possibility in this in this profile. Yeah, so um, we have removed the bearer token, moved completely to the center constraint token, mm -hmm. as well as the, all the communications, even through the browser, is integrity protected. Mm -hmm. That's not the case in the usual auth. 
hope that you connect. Yeah, so, that's correct. You know, yeah, yeah. Sounds very interesting. I have to play myself in the browser. Like, oh, what can I see? What I cannot see? So it's super interesting. So un unless the sender and receiver is using encryption mode, you can still see it, but mm -hmm. you cannot tamper it. Oh, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's signed. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. The integrity, you cannot, yeah, you cannot modify it. Okay. Right. Excellent. Please tell us. Yeah, you mentioned that initially it was for financial, then uh, at least healthcare and, and the aviation or transport were interested. Uh, what are the, nowadays, let's say, what are the main use cases? Those are still the main use cases or is even broader? Yeah, as I said, it's general purpose. Mm -hmm. So it can be used for any use cases that require high level security. Having said that, since we have started off from the financial world, they are leading in the implementation, right? They had like two years of head starts. So the most popular implementation scenario currently is banking. Mm -hmm. So like accessing banking data or making payment and mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and I know I read from some examples from FAPI, the documentation is available. They mentioned some has been already, FAPI has been made part of some I don't know, standards or regulations in a few different countries, including UK, open banking, I think is the most known. Could you tell us about those How has HAPI been implemented in different countries? Yeah, so as you mentioned, the first mainstream usage was the UK open banking. Nine biggest banks were mandated by Competitive Market Authority, mm -hmm. CMA, to open up the API, and FAPI was chosen as the protocol to secure them. I understand the first reason for that is to make banking data portable, but uh, subsequently, PSD2 kicked in and it was expanded into the payment, right? And then after that, Australian Consumer Data Standard adopted FAPI. So as the name suggests, it's much wider than just banking. It's for any consumer data. Of course, again, they have started from banking. And if I remember correctly, they are now expanding into electricity and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then Brazil followed the step. I actually had an opportunity to talk with vice governor, I think, of the Brazilian Central Bank in London just before the COVID outbreak. And we agreed that adopting standardized approach with the testing or certification coming together is going to be really, really vital for widespread adoption and a quick adoption. So I think that was taken by Brazilian Central Bank and they are now mandating that to the banks and TPPs, the relying parties in the fintechs. And then more recently, FDX in the United States announced its adoption. So the Russian Fintech Association, they've been public, you know, while uh, FDX has uh, made written statement in their blog post on their website. In the case of the Russian Fintech Association, it's still verbal, but they've been speaking about that in the conferences. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, you know, a public knowledge now. Of course, there are a little bit of tweaks that are required for the Russian use cases. Uh, in the case of current FAPI, for the purpose of bolting down the options, we have specified a few encryption 
algorithms and signature algorithms to be used. But in the case of Russia, they need to use their own you know, cost standard for those algorithms. Mm-hmm. So we need to expand it, modify it, and expand it a bit. But you know, that can be done as an extension, and we okay. are talking about that right now. And then most recently, we have started joint workshop with the Bering Group, which is very prominent in the continental Europe to seek a way to converge. So, you know, it's getting a good traction now. Mm-hmm. Berlin Group, I'm not so familiar, is also into financial or what, what it covers, Berlin Group? So, Berlin, yeah, Berlin Group is uh, mainly, how can I put it? It's an association of the mainly banks, right? And then there are advisory group made up, which includes you know, fintechs and other industries as well. But although the name, say, Berlin, it's not only Germany, it's from many other countries as well. So it's quite widespread in the continent of Europe. And also I heard that some of the Bering Group banks are now implementing FAPI or they have already implemented FAPI as well. So that's an interesting development as well. And it's also possible that some in other countries and in different institutions, they can implement uh, independently, right? Without having a, a regulation or a main association that like say for, for them to use them. Yeah, sure, sure. It's a standard. And uh, standard, unless required by regulations, like in some of the cases, it's totally optional. It's totally voluntary. But at the same time, you know, anybody can actually use it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you don't have to wait for the regulators to come in and, mm-hmm. you know, mandating you to use it. So it's very likely that we will hear in the next, uh, well, in the new year, in the, in the coming months, coming years, more of associations like this of banking or even in other industries, more regulations in different other uh, geographies that are embracing FAPI. Yeah, so the, one of the reasons for FDX, I understand, to adopt FAPI is to move ahead. Well, I don't know if that's correct in all the countries, but in many countries, if industries or industrial body actually self-regulate themselves, the government regulations do not kick in and you'll get more freedom. So I think it's actually better for the industry to adopt something like this without being mandated by the government. And what about uh, GAIN, that the project, uh, you are heavily involved also, project that was released a few months few months ago, that also requires GAIN or, if, sorry, FAPI is, FAPI is part of GAIN or could you, could you tell us? So GAIN itself is technology neutral. So it, mm-hmm. okay. it's not mandating any particular technology. It's open, but FAPI can also be used. And certainly that is envisaged by some of the participants in GAIN mm-hmm. as the first step. So certainly, yeah, you can use FAPI and there are people who's using FAPI in the GAIN POC that they're self-organizing right now. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And could you tell us, leaving a bit outside of the main topic of FAPI, but could you tell us a bit what's also coming from in GAIN, what is happening lately and what is coming in the next months? So there are two distinct parts, at least two, or maybe depending on how you count it, can be three. One is a technical working group, which is hosted by Open Idea Foundation. And the others are the legal and business working groups, which are hosted by IIF and Open Identity Exchange. 
IAF stands for International Institute of Finance, right? And as to the technical part, we are currently working on the legal agreement, a legal participation agreement, so that we can create a safe space for all the participants who's taking part in you know, GAIN PLC. We're in the final phase of drafting such a legal agreement so that we can participate in PLC feeling safe. Excellent. So yes, more the POCs are coming for GAIN. Excellent. And tell us, Corfapi is sort of a project that has ended. I know you are, you are working on that. So tell us uh, what is coming next for the FAPI working group. So FAPI working group is very far from being done, right? Mm -hmm. We have ever more work to do. In the beginning, we didn't create a profile for dynamic grant registration or consent or intent grant. You know, every jurisdiction says refers it slightly differently, but grant management, what we call. We had enough work to work them as well. So we kind of postponed the work. However, after UK, AU, Australia and Brazil went online, it became quite clear, painfully clear, that there are compatibility and security headaches because of no standardized way of doing it. So we decided to start a work to address them. So the new technical specification called grant management for all is being drafted and it's gone through the first implementer's draft thought successfully so that it can be implemented by implementers without fear of being sued or something like that. And people are just ironing out of the kinks about the draft. You know, we'll probably need multiple rounds of these things mm -hmm. to get to the finalization, but it's a good start, right? And then now uh, we are just starting, you know, just in these like a month or so, we've been starting dynamic client registration part. It's been done slightly differently in the UK, Australia, and Brazil as well. And, you know, we are gaining a lot of knowledge from that as well. So we are trying to codify the best practices about those. Uh, and hopefully that's going to be a very good guidance for other jurisdictions to follow. So that relates to the enrollment of customers, of the identity of customers? Well, actually, no, that's KYC, right? The dynamic client registration is so the end users uses software to interact with the, for example, banks in the case of open banking, right? And these software actually need to be registered to those banks. And you, we have mm. to exchange the keys and things like that. And that can, of course, be done manually, but that yes. doesn't scale. Mm -hmm. So we need to have some kind of programmatical way of doing it. That's called dynamic client registration. And again, we have a lot of options there. And we need to bolt it down for the interoperability purpose and to have a predictable security. So that's what we are doing. When it comes to the KYC part, I mean, KYC is a big field and it's a headache for all the financial institutions. It hasn't been too effective to date, but we are trying. And one of the ways to help the pain there is to create a protocol which would 
make it easier and more secure to exchange those KYC data among the participants, right? Like again, and that's not being worked on by FAPI Working Group, but in the adjacent working group called EKYC and IDEA Working Group. Actually, if you join the FAPI Working Group call mm-hmm. without dropping off and calling another number or accessing new URL, you'll be seamlessly taken to EKYC and IDEA Working Group. Okay. You know, it's just happening at the same time. I mean, at the same location, just they're connected to each other. And that working group, is working on the data and metadata side. That is, how to express verified attributes and how they were verified. And these attributes, in the first phase, we are sorting out the natural persons, but in the coming days, we will also be doing legal entities mm-hmm. as well. Just passing that this person has been verified as, for example, Nat Sakimura isn't good enough. And you really can't trust it, right? You need more information. And for example, how it was verified, when it was verified, which evidence you have used, uh, under which uh, legal framework, and so on and so forth, and when. So these we call metadata needed to be sent with the data itself. And the specification called OIDC for Identity Assurance, OpenID Connect for Identity Assurance deals with it. And using that standard, you can get those data and metadata together in a signed format. So the combination of the standard together with FAPI will be very, very powerful. Yeah, I can see it's, it's needed, definitely. It's, it's powerful, as, as you said. So. Yeah, fantastic job that uh, the FAPI working group and this uh, other adjacent group is doing together. Now, just one final question uh, for all business leaders that are listening to this conversation we had. What is the one actionable idea that you would like them to write on their agendas today? Okay, so while it's been talked a lot about the economy, that it will be over 5% of GDP, it's yet to be seen why the data economy needs a secure and interoperable data network. And we are finally getting there with FAPI and EKYC standards. So guys need to get ready for the ride. It's the time. You need to start acting, start preparing for that. Yes. And that will affect all... All industries. Yeah, it's not only financial institutions. Yeah, it's for everybody. Mm. Yeah, could I agree more? Thanks a lot, Nat, for this very interesting conversation we had, knowing a lot more about FAPI and all the great work you do. Um, please let us know for people who like to continue the conversation with you or know more about the work you're doing, what are the best ways to find you on the net, get in touch? Okay, so I'm in LinkedIn. Yeah, if you search Nat Sakimura, you can get there. I'm on YouTube as well. So you can get to me there as well. So is Twitter. And of course, if you're technical, I highly recommend you to join FAPI Working Group so we can share the technical ideas in a safe IPR environment. Excellent. Again, thanks a lot, Nat, for this interview and all the best and Happy New Year. Thanks. Much obliged. And likewise. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk About Digital Identity, produced by UbiSecure. Stay up to date with episode at ubisecure.com slash podcast or join us on Twitter at ubisecure and use the hashtag LTADI. Until next time, 